Hi and hello watch fans and welcome to part two of our article analysis building towards a one watch collection written by our resident provocateur David Vaucher. Last week we talked about the concepts of a one watch collection, we also touched on grail watches and exit watches and we nominated our preferred one watch if we had to recommend such a thing. Although I think we all realized that truly getting down to one watch is beyond our emotional capacities. Today we are going to dive into the process David followed, developed I would say himself, to offload many of his watches to scythe down his collection to now under 10 pieces with the Cartier Santos spending a lot of time on his wrist as a result. So David I'm going to turn this over to you. You can take as long as you want to talk us through the process and the data that you discovered by going through it and then we will analyze it afterwards. Oh man okay hopefully I can keep this structured because I probably could go on for like 2025 i will not but there's a lot to to unpack here so as we discussed in in last week's episode and as i laid out in the article uh, i had this thought that i should pare my collection down and as i said in the article i'm not impulsive but when i come to a decision i kind of move on it very quickly and so what that meant was that i wasn't just selling one watch or even two watches it was pretty much like the bulk of my collection So I think I should probably set the stage for what actually went out so that uh, listeners can get an idea of what I was trying to sell here. So there were, hang on, let me, you've got my spreadsheet here, two, three, eight watches. So I was selling a Rolex Explorer 2, 216570, that was the previous generation, the Omega Aquaterra Chronograph 150 meters GMT, excellent watch, discontinued, but fantastic. The Omega Planet Ocean 600 meter chronograph, uh, that was the titanium version. I had two separate Omega Seamaster 300Ms, the black and the blue dial. I had an Omega Planet Ocean 39.5 millimeter, that was the black dial version. I was also selling a Tudor Black Base Steel and a Tudor North Flag. So, not the world's most expensive collection, but certainly a, a good chunk of change. And uh, importantly, sellable or tradable, at least I thought. So uh, I guess, Rob, I'm, I'm not going to bring in Alan just yet because he is a key piece of this story. Uh, but Rob, any thoughts on the the mix of watches before I go on to the next part? Well, I have two immediate thoughts. One of them is it's interesting that you're offloading all of your Omegas because I'm kind of doing the same thing. During my tenure at Fratello, I accrued I think five Speedmasters and a Seamaster over that time. And now I only have two Speedmasters left and a Moon Swatch, a Jupiter Moon Swatch. And I do still have the Seamaster 300M. It's a quartz powered one from, I think, the sort of James Bond Casino Royale era. I think it's around that time. I've given that one in inverted commas to my brother because he loves bond and he is a pretty hardy chap that spends a lot of time in extreme environments so i thought that'd be a perfect watch for him to wear and enjoy and he wears it on a force and a flat link at the moment i also am going to check out of my mark 40 which i have i have a beautiful example of it it's a gorgeous little watch but it just doesn't get the sort of wrist time that it deserves and Heartbreakingly, I'm actually ready to move on from my Broad Arrow 98 replica. One of our listeners is interested in buying it. Um, I don't want to do him over with a 
too high a price, but I have to admit that I wouldn't let it go for uh, a song. I would like to get some money in so I can spend that on other pieces. The other point that you raised that I thought is very, very salient is that they are sellable watches. That's a really, really, really important thing. So to once again reference my attempt to acquire a Langomatic Perpetual from Subdial, I sent them a massive list of watches I'd be happy to trade for it. I mean, I wouldn't have reached the £40,000 price, but I, I, I might have got closer to it. Maybe I could have got 25000 of it from watches I was willing to trade. And some of the pieces I offered them, let me just reel off what they were. I offered things like my Minaze DeVito. I offered my WH&T LCF888 chronograph. I offered a Tocker that I have in my collection that doesn't get much wear. I offered my Ming GMT that I bought but haven't bonded with. And let me just see. I'm just looking through my collection. I think that might have been it. I sort of toyed with the idea of putting the Lavender Automobile up as well. But then I had like a, a bit of an emotional crisis with that one. So put that back in the box. Uh, there are a couple other smaller bits that would maybe only sell on somewhere like Chrono for about one or 1,500. And... Honestly, Subdial weren't interested in any of them but the Omegas. So they they really were focused on bigger brands that they had uh, service contracts with that they could fix and refinish and sell, which is totally fair enough. I, I'm I'm not uh, I, I have nothing to say against that negatively. I was a little surprised, in fairness, but then when you look at the kind of stuff they offer, it's no surprise. But all of the pieces you listed there are extremely sellable. They're uh, extremely desirable. They're from major brands. And I think that's a key point when people look at their collections, because we often as collectors accrue <laughs> quite a lot of chaff, shall we say. And that's normal when you're going through buying things here, there and everywhere, often cheaper watches that really don't have much resale value at all. But yeah, that's a, that's a good starting point that you're out there. So take us through the next step of your process. Okay. Given that I was going to be selling expensive watches... And given that I was going to be selling multiples of them, I realized pretty quickly I was going to have to have a process. Now, my, my job involves me to, I, basically I'm in consulting. So my day job requires me to be very methodical. And I think sometimes, Rob, I drive you a little nuts because I'm always trying to put process and data to everything. It's just what I like to do. And so I came up with a spreadsheet and the spreadsheet was going to be useful in two ways. The first one was just to track everything. But the second one was to do some examination on some data. And I think that is going to interest a lot of people. We'll get to that later on in the show. But so I put this spreadsheet together and the, the first kind of really practical thing I wanted to track was when I uh, present these for sale or trade, what and I'm clearly going to be doing this from different places. So I need to be able to compare and track those different offers. Now, I'll say right off the bat, I did not want to sell them on Chrono24. I completely understand, or the forums for that matter, I completely understand that uh, there's more money in it, but there's also more time. There is more risk. I've heard some really bad horror stories uh, in terms of scams and things like that. So I just wanted to basically pay for the convenience of trading them in. Also with a mindset that there were a couple of watches I wanted to pick up and consolidate down to. And when you go with a reputable dealer, you do get more benefit on the trade uh, rather than just getting a cash offer. So 
Uh, and Alan, I will get to you because you're the next part. But Rob, any any thoughts on that before I, I get down to where I was looking to trade these into? Well, thanks for involving me in this conversation so heavily. I feel very, very privileged. I totally understand the desire to pay for convenience, as it were. It's something, I guess, as watch collectors, we're very used to paying for the invisible parts of a transaction. You know, we always hear people commenting on the cost of watches and how that's a long way away from what the build cost of the watch is. But obviously there's a lot of people eating from the same table here. So money has to go to people that provide services or skills. And in this case, being able to parcel up such a bunch of watches, which to sell individually would be a massive undertaking that could take months and is a bit of a headache logistically, especially for you because you've just bought a house and you're very busy furnishing that alongside your job. I totally understand that. I identify with that. I would love the same opportunity. Unfortunately, as mentioned before, as alluded to at least, because I want to move on from watches that aren't as saleable as the ones you're moving on from, it's unlikely I'd find a dealer willing to take all the pieces that I have available for sale in one fell swoop. Maybe that segues into the next part nicely enough. It does. It does. Now, we get to where was I going to present these watches. So... The first two that came to mind were going to be the usual suspects. So watch finder and watch box. Now I knew because I'd, I'd worked with him or, you know, we're colleagues on the real time show. I was like, should I present this to Alan? And it's not that I didn't want to do business with you all. I just, I felt like there was a risk here because if it goes south, like what does that do to us working on the real time show? So I was like, you know, I was just I was just super torn, like mostly for the the, pers- the potential personal ramifications. But what happened when I presented it to Watchbox and Watchfinder, there there were two things that I realized. The first was that I didn't feel like the experience was always particularly easy. So I would email, you know, one of the two, and it would take like. I think in one case, I didn't get a reply back for two days, so I had to follow up. It just, I didn't get a very good feeling. The other issue that I ran into, which made sense when I thought about it, was that, and I, I have a bone to pick with Watchbox here, and I, I don't mean to slander anyone. This is fact. It's based on fact, and it's kind of my view on what happened, but I am a huge fan of Tim Masso and his YouTube shows, uh, particularly the, the review shows. At the beginning of every show, he basically has the sign up for his contact information for watch boxes, or I guess the 1916 now. Their contact info and says, you know, we will buy your collection, we pay cash, we pay fast, we make it fun, et cetera, et cetera. But when I actually reached out to them with these watches, they were like, well, we're really only interested in the Rolex. The other stuff, we're just full on stock. And so we're going to take a pass. And it makes sense because they are a market and they don't want to take in 20 Omega Seamasters in a month that they can only sell 10. So that got me thinking, all right, like this is not going how I wanted it to. And, you know, maybe I will get a better response and a more positive response from Alon at Ace. And the spoiler is, so I'm going to turn it over to you, Alon, in a second. And this is where I'm going to get into my data. When you deal with a local jeweler, and this is something I would not have been able to do without this direct contact to Ace and up. No one's getting paid for this. This is just, you know, Alan and I talking about a transaction that we happen to do together. I got personalized attention from him and his brother who runs the pre-owned shop. And I got a better deal on the value coming back to me because 
Alon, I don't think, is being pitched 20 Seamasters all the time, right? So his kind of supply relative to demand is much lower than what watch, Watchboxes is. And the third advantage that I was going to have was that knowing I wanted to trade into some other watches, either Alon could provide that for me from his inventory, or he could somehow source it for me from some of his connections in, in the industry, which is actually what happened. So Alan, I'll, I'll turn it over to you now and kind of uh, ask you like, what do you, what is your usual kind of business relative to Watchfinder and Watchbox? Like, how do you think that you're different? Is it the same as what I've said? And also, uh, when you get customers with these large collections coming and asking for trades and sales, how, how do you manage that? I don't take any offense that you didn't come to us first or we weren't top of mind. We actually tell almost every customer, go out and compare. If they come physically into the boutique, there's more amazing pre-owned dealers in Amsterdam. We always say, go out and see. Not only see if you get a better deal, but also remember, especially with diamonds, but also with pre-owned, buy the seller. Even if you're selling watches, right? It's maybe a reverse story. You're the seller and you're going to a buyer. But the experience you get and the feeling you get. Now, at Ace, we've been trading in watches since our foundation in 1975. I was never the key priority within our business. We are originally diamantaires. We, my dad is a diamond cutter, polisher, goldsmith, master goldsmith. And we always made fine jewelry, so precious metals and natural diamonds. He always loved watches. That's how we got into watches. It rubbed off on us. We do our own fine jewelry. We have authorized dealership and often exclusive dealerships for the Nance for jewelry. We're authorized dealers for watch brands. And we do CPO, certified pre-owned. Now, because we're losing more and more of the big, big brand names, because they're opening mono brand boutiques just around the corner from us, we started paying more attention to CPO. Besides the fact that we have less watch brands, but also we see that the trend is going on already for more than a decade. But with the newer generation, it's even more on vogue to buy pre-owned watches is because it's the green element, right? So it's on vogue to buy pre-owned. And an extra dimension is, and that's actually kudos to watch finders and watch box, and Chrono24, and before that, the OG is eBay, they simplified the process of liquefying your monetary investment in watches. So taking this as a perfect storm, the timing was there. What we did at Ace, back in the day we would trade in, we would hardly buy watches. We basically try to be a one-stop shop. We are a concierge service. We want to treat watch collectors like we want to be treated. Meaning, we give all options. You can trade in. You can sell your watch to us. You can consign your watch to us. Meaning, give it to us in consignment. So on loan, we agree a percentage for the commission. For that, we insure your watch, we photograph it, we 
have a Dutch national register where we need to log a pre-owned watch, freeze it for three days, and that's a measure for uh, theft. So make sure that it's on the stolen watch. So it's all logged in a national database, registered to police. We obviously take it into our inventory. We upload it on our own website, Chrono24, our Instagram, and display it in our physical boutique. So, and an extra dimension with the service that you used is you wanted a particular watch that A, we don't sell as an authorized dealer. B, it wasn't in production anymore. So for two reasons, we were forced to buy a pre-owned piece or a new old stock watch. So we also actually source watches on demand, new or pre-owned. Does that reflect well what your experience was, David? That is exactly what, what happened. And uh, I will say too that this, you, you get me to a good point because everyone's been asking me, so what did you get? What did you get? So what I got was a little bit of cash in the trade. There was some left over, but the primary goal in me doing this was to obtain a watch that I really had my eye on. And that was the Cartier Santos, the blue. Uh, I think it's called the large version. But as I mentioned in the, the previous analysis that we did, uh, I think it's really fun to, to give watches. And, you know, my wife has always been super understanding about this hobby. And she had her eye on the Cartier Santos as well, the smaller model, uh, two-tone. So I asked Alon, could you please source me one of each? And the watch that he's referring to that he had to, to buy from another dealer was actually the Blancpain uh, Complete Calendar. It's a Le Mans discontinued. It's a fantastic watch. So the summary is that for those eight watches that I listed up front, I was able to get two brand new Cartiers and the uh, pre-owned Blancpain, again, discontinued. Um, and all of that done, there, there was a lot of work up front, so I can kind of go through that. But the experience was very smooth. It really was a one-stop shop via this uh, via Ace. Yeah, so you almost used all four services. Um, and, and as said, very hands-on approach. My brother is responsible for everything CPO within ACE, but we're a small team, we're a small family business, and obviously everybody knows everybody knows everything. So um, what you see is what you get. We're very transparent. So if you want to trade in, fine, it has a value. If you want to sell, you'll get cash within 24 hours, literal cash, bank wire, or whatever means you want, even if it's crypto. And the consignment one is maybe the most difficult, and a lot of dealers don't do that, but we're very transparent about that. So we agree together what we think is a good asking price. Our strategy is usually don't exaggerate. So you'll see a big bandwidth on the marketplaces for a particular model. So we tend always to be on the lower end of the price range looking at EU, authorized dealers, and stating the watch as is. We never make it appear better than it is. So if it's a mint watch, we'll say that it has minor mirror scratches. If it's uh, literally brand, 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 brand new, we'll call it unworn. So we always under-promise, over-deliver, 
Fun fact for you, David, I don't think I've ever told you, but all your watches had, I call them luck, good karma, because they sold all of them. Literally everyone was gone within two, three months off. Fantastic. All of them. So there were good models and good vibes. So we try to position them on the fast rotation cycle, let's say, and we take low margins. On average, if a watch is higher than 5K in the resale value, we only take a 10% commission. If it's a lower price, we can discuss, uh, because you can imagine how much work it is to be done to get this watch to a sale. For example, unlike many dealers on Corona 24, we don't charge shipping costs on every price sold. So we absorb those costs, we absorb credit card costs. And a fun fact is that because we are a and authorized dealer, but a renowned dealer, next year we exist five decades in Amsterdam, and we've been doing e-commerce since 2007, we sell more of our watches, CPO watches, through our own boutique and our own e-com. So we save on the Chrono 24 commission. So, and we're very transparent about that. So when you come in, we say, hey, there's a lot of traffic through Chrono 24. We often get offers, bids on the advertisement, the ad of the watch that's consigned to us. We talk to you. Do you want to accept the offer? Don't you want to accept the offer? If Chrono 24 sells it for us, they take a commission because they offer an escrow service. The buyer pays Chrono 24, freezes the money, we ship out the watch. The watch arrives and the buyer has 14 days to send it back or to file a complaint or whatever. And only after 14 days, the money is released. For that, they take a commission. So the price sold is minus the current 24 commission. And only then we take our tempers. So it's all transparent. We always communicate that. So whenever we get bids, we say, hey, this is the bid. It's this platform. If it's through our own website, there are no additional costs. Um, we absorb shipping costs, credit card costs on our end. And at the corner 24 side, the credit card costs are incorporated into their total commission. So it's all about transparency and managing expectations. So you tell me, David, if that was done well. That, that was. And I will say, because you started teasing out some data, I want to get to that next. But uh, before I do that, just quick clarifications and maybe a warning to anyone trying to do this is that don't underestimate the time it's going to take to get everything together. I mean, for me, it was multiple trips to the bank. I had to get the boxes and papers together. And a, a huge source of stress for me was actually getting them to a... So I'm located near Paris. Amsterdam is is not that far. Uh, I suppose I, you know, if I had no constraints, I could have just driven everything over there. But that wasn't the case. So it was about 600 euros in DHL to get everything sent insured. And that was a process as well. I had to pack the boxes. I had to get the shipping labels ready. So there is a ton of work up front. Um, you know, Alan's talking about work on his side. On the seller side, when you're trying to get rid of this many watches, I use that pejoratively, but when you're trying to trade or sell this many watches, uh, there's definitely a process to follow. Rob, you have something to, to add? I'm just curious. Did you ship all the watches individually or did you ship them all in one box? No. So this was why I was nervous because... You know, maybe it would have been the same price to ship each one individually, but I just wanted to limit the risk while also, I guess, increasing the risk. I said two separate. No, I, I'm sorry. 
I sent one watch immediately. That was the blue Seamaster, I think. And then everything else went in two rather large separate boxes. So three packages total, two of which were very large. Okay. And one question before we move on. Sure. Any regrets? Do you miss any of the pieces at all? If if the answer is no, then surely one or two of them still stick in your mind a bit more than the others. So just give us an insight there. None. No. Uh, you know, I'm a little shocked. You know, the one I might feel bad about in 50 years, I do think the Tudor North, North flag is going to be a future classic. So, you know, if that's worth a million bucks in 50 years, I might feel kind of uh, foolish. But no, honestly, I'm I'm very happy with what I have. I said in the last episode, the analysis we did, I can't say I'm never going to buy another watch. And I think if I were to buy anything else, uh, Omega, an Omega would come back. I've got my eye on a, on a mid-sized 36 millimeter Aquaterra at some point. But as far as what I sold, no. No, I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm very reactive in the sense that when I think something through, I go for it and then there's no regrets because that's the choice that I made. So not only was I comfortable with my choice selling it, I am very happy with what I have. And in fact, not only do I wear my Santos every day now, I see my wife wearing hers every day as well, which is super rewarding. It means that all this money I had tied up not doing anything is now, you know, making two people very happy. So, so no regrets at all. So, can we talk some data? Rob, you ready to get uh, into the weeds? Uh, oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you, you were right before. You know, it's it's not my thing. I'm a feel player, as they say. But oh God's sake, go ahead, knock us out with the data. I can't wait. All right, Alan. Hopefully, I'm not sharing anything proprietary. Now, I want to be very clear. This is all time sensitive stuff. So, when I tell you what Ace offered me, this was in July of 2023. And if you were to contact them, there's a high likelihood those prices uh, will have changed. So let's get into this. I actually had uh, paper receipts and e-receipts for basically everything that I was trading. I tried to be as granular as possible and I took exchange rates for dollar to euro exchange rates for when I bought those individual watches. And for those eight watches, keeping in mind that I bought them before things went crazy, and I'm always pretty aggressive when I buy, I really try and get the best deal. For those eight watches, I spent 32, just over 32,000 euros was what the buying price was. Now, I could have looked at the inflation price, like what it would be worth today, but instead I went to Chrono24. And the worst of those, so I spent 32,000 euros, they were worse on Chrono24 at the same time, just under 44,000 euros. So there was appreciation there, and I was happy to see that. Now, clearly, that's not what I got from, from Ace. Understandably, I'm fine with that. But I want to give the first shocking statistic, was that not only did I look at what they were worth on Chrono24, I also said, okay, just for laughs, let me see what Apple stock was worth when I bought those watches, and let me see what it would have been worth when I traded them away. And it turns out the Apple stock would have been worth 125,000 euros, which would have netted me 95,000 euros, right? So we went from a potential gain on Chrono24 to me potentially being almost six figures richer had I not bought watches and bought Apple stock instead. I've got a couple thoughts on this. Uh, Rob, Alan, you guys want to jump in real quick before I move on to some, uh, some more data points? Heartbreaking in a way is brutal. I guess the key takeaway for me is that watches should never have been viewed as a financial asset class at all. I believe they're emotional investments. I believe that you have had 
a lot more fun with the watches that you owned over that period than you would have done agonizing over whether your Apple stock was going to go up or down. I guess it was probably only ever going to go in one direction. So maybe we should all buy Apple stock now and stop fannying around with watches. But yeah, tough one. I hate stuff like that, to be honest. It leaves me with a bit of a sick feeling in my stomach, but we live our lives in a linear direction. And what can you do about that? I think you've enjoyed it, right? That's exactly the way I look at it. You know, life, you can always eat salads all the time, but I say this living in France, like you got to have a croissant once in a while. I think that's just part of what makes life fun. So I at no point saw this as, um, you know, a loss, like maybe going forward, that might motivate me to make some different choices. And we, we've discussed that at length in, in the article and the, the analysis, but I, I make no regrets for the choices that I made when I purchased those. Now, okay, so we get to the interesting stuff. So fine, I would have been up on Apple stock. Uh, I told you that I paid, and I'm looking at my spreadsheet now, just under 30, just over 32,000 euros for all these watches. So now we get to uh, trade in values and and things of that nature. So as I said, WatchFinder, WatchBox, I was a little disappointed. They didn't even quote me on some of these. What Ace offered was on a trade-in value, about 27,000 euros, and on a cash value, about 28,000 euros. So you have to remember what the Chrono 24 value was here. So we went from 43,000 euros, potentially, if I sold them myself, to about uh, 28,000 on a cash trade when I had paid 32. Now, some people are going to say, like, David, what are you doing? That's so dumb. You're leaving money on the table. But I didn't want to deal with the risk. I wanted the ease. And I'm totally with you, Rob. Like, watches to me are not financial. We are very lucky to be in a hobby where we can get any money at all, right, from, from trading away or selling our stuff. So when I looked at that loss, quote unquote, that to me was just the cost of enjoyment, basically. So there was the cost of enjoyment, the cost of ease to move them on, and the cost of ease to acquire new new timepieces. So uh, I'm wholly satisfied and I make no regrets on my choices. And I think maybe, Alon, it might be a good time to turn it over to you and just uh, kind of get your thoughts on that and maybe understand if your other clients kind of feel the same way. So what I wanted to say as a rebuttal to the Apple stock store is I don't find it fair to compare a passive monetary investment to a physical hobby. That costs a lot of money, could yield you profits, could hold its value relatively good. So it's not comparing apples with apples or oranges with oranges. It's um, I, I prefer to compare to art or even cars. So if we look at expensive hobbies or hobbies that are cash rich, let's say, I think that's fair because what enjoyment do these stocks give you? And I'm telling you this as somebody who gives a lot of financial advice. So I have a lot of affluent customers and they often come to me and they want advice. So I take it very broad, as in I literally sell kilos and kilos of bullion gold, okay? I've even investment companies that buy physical diamonds, natural diamonds, so lose investment-grade diamonds. But since they often can perceive us as concierges, 
we take it wider. We talk about crypto, we talk about ETFs, bonds, stocks, and obviously watches are thrown into the mix. And I've been saying this from the start of this podcast show, I do not like it and I don't think that watches should be classified as an investment class, an asset class. And I say this literally to those people that I sell them gold and diamonds as an investment stock or asset class. So I literally turn out and I've dozens and dozens of people that can vouch for me on air that I've done this in the last two decades. Now, so that being said, I have a question for you, David. Do you, does it pain you that that same uh, package of money could have yielded you profit but no fun? Whereas now you had that enjoyment of watches. No, it doesn't bother me at all. I mean, I, I did it because I, I think it's, it's an interesting exercise and that's just kind of how I'm like wired now. I want to, I want to benchmark against, against things. And I'm not going to lie. I think it does make a difference in my future buying habits. And we've talked about that before. I'm just more deliberate in what I buy. But when I see that 100,000 euro profit, uh, no, I, I think, no, I think that in, you know, especially when you work hard and you have some money left over, sure, you can just put it in a bank or stocks or whatever, but what's the fun in that? I mean, I like watches for some of the same and maybe different reasons that you and Rob do. So I bought them. It was the right decision when I bought them. I had fun with them. And now I move them on and I feel fortunate I could move them on and, and get something out of it. So I I purposely did it because I, I think it's going to get quite a big reaction from our listener community. And that was deliberate. But as far as regrets, none, none at all, because I agree with you and Rob in terms of watches are for fun. Yeah. So my, my question is, would you, you can, you can blow that value of money on very fun and lavish holiday. You could have bought one art piece for on the wall or a statue or a few. You have a new house. Would you have preferred that? Or are you still happy with that? Oh, that's a, there's, there's some philosophy in that because. You know, sure, I, I could do a lot to the house with uh, with a hundred thousand euros, but at the same time, that's not where I was in my life. I mean, one of the things I am very good at is just really remembering what, what a sunk cost is, and I think a sunk cost is maybe a bit harsh because that's not like it makes the watch sound like a bad thing, and it's not. I'm just I'm very comfortable that when I make a decision, I have thought it through, and in the end, that was the decision that I made. So it's very easy for me to say, oh, I shouldn't have bought those watches. I should have put an Apple stock. But no, like I got a chance to experience those watches. I can say I've, you know, worn them uh, and it was fun. So the way I look at it, that was my fun money and anything having to do with savings and finances, that's another bucket of cash that I, uh, I use elsewhere. But I, I will say it just reinforces to everyone, especially now in 2024, most watches are not investments. The watches that and every man like myself has access to are not investment pieces. A store of value to an extent, but it is not an investment piece. Well said. So I ask this question to almost every collector that mutates their collection, often with us. And often they either have a big collection in art or 
Let's take fountain pens, for example. Rob and I have a mutual friend who is crazy about fountain pens. And I have actually quite a few of pens. And I do love art and I do love cars, but I've decided, and obviously I like my sneakers, but I push everything into watches because that's my deepest and biggest passion in life, maybe. So, but art, maybe on paper, appreciates often better than watches, but is less liquid. Go find a buyer for it because you also indicated prices that you see either on marketplaces or auction results remember you have to add a 25% premium and as a seller you lose also on what you've seen that yielded a winning bid during auctions now cars are also high ticket prices very liquid but I only know two of my friends who made a profit on the Ferraris but pay attention, percentage-wise, it's not even 5%. So in absolute values, it sounds amazing. Ooh, they made 50K profit on their Ferrari. But if the Ferrari already costs 250K, 50 is not that much, relatively speaking. So in that sense, watches are a good hobby, not investment class. But the cool thing is, for collectors and those that are maybe hesitant to grow their watch collection, it's becoming more liquid. I don't mean by that more profitable. It's easier to exchange hands on a watch. And what I do see though, the deltas are becoming smaller. So you lose less on a watch. And what Rob taught us at the beginning of this episode is uh, the lesser brands are maybe less wanted, but not at Ace. We literally sell everything. We're not snooty CPO dealers. Sorry, dear CPO dealers that only deal on Patek and Rolexes. Yes, I'm talking to you. I, You're probably very nice. Some of you are very nice because I know you personally. But I call that snooty because you act as if there are no other good watches out there besides Patek and Rolex and maybe Adamal. But we actually like to be in the, 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 the call it the, the shadows of the CPO market. We like these eccentric and odd watch brands and models. And although I just indicated that it's not really profitable to be a CPO dealer and sell watch below 5k because simply your overhead to get a soul a watch advertised and then sold the absolute cost is already higher than 500 euros or if there are CPO dealers that do it for less then we're not that efficient but remember we're a high street retailer so yeah I have high rents and high overhead but it is also fun to sell because we deal with every watch as a business card. What do I mean by that? It's an introduction to a new relationship because every seller is a buyer and every buyer is a seller. And I've said this in one of the episodes, I've recently sold one watch already four times. Literally one watch, same watch, same serial number, four times. As an IBC dealer, I sold an NG engineer that person traded in 
sold it to another collector of ours, came back third time, and now it's being sold for the fourth time now through Ace. So it has never left the Ace universe in that sense. So I find that interesting, super cool. It's very green. Um, so, so yeah, that's fun in my humble opinion. This is probably a completely unanswerable question, but wouldn't it be fun if we could somehow one day find the watch that had sold for the most, the most times? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I understand. It's cool. So, so being resold, how often has it changed owners? I like when we talk about a car. Are you the first or second owner? And that apparently diminishes the value if it is not the first owner that sells the car. You know, I guess the title would probably or almost certainly go to something like um, Paul Newman Daytona, I guess, because it sold or well, it hasn't sold that many times, but there are watches of that class, you know, like the Brando GMT that will sell and sell again and again and again for stratospheric amounts and yeah i don't know whether that's as much fun as maybe finding like i don't know can you tell us which model it was that you sold over and over and over again yeah sure thing um i I believe well if if you hear this recently and it's still available you can find it on our website and uh, on our chrono 24 page Uh, by heart i believe it's the iw3227 but let me google while we're talking um so it's it's that reference and and um we've we've more of these watches yeah that that we've sold several times so so that that's super cool but but you see everything is is changing everything is flux i mean the world is changing rapidly um attitudes are changing rapidly i mean we're going from millennials now to gen z and apparently the generation after is the gen alpha um but yeah it's the IW32 to 701 and it's for now still apparently for sale um and my site is now set to UK so it shows for 5930 sterling switching it up quickly to uh euros and 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 and, and that's a cool thing because that is definitely more than when I sold it as a new watch for the recommended retail price back in the day as an authorized IWC dealer because it's now listed for 6,900 euros on our website. That's that's wild. And yeah, I think picking up on a, a point that you said, Alan, you know, if I had to buy another watch, like, so now that I'm acquainted with Ace, I do actually browse your, your pre-owned site quite a bit because it's always just so much fun to see what cycles in and out. And, you know, just to be clear, like for everyone, Ace isn't sponsoring the show. I mean, I could list Hal Martins in Houston. I used to frequent them when I was there a lot. I think Delray Watch um, out of Florida is a lot of fun as well. But I think the point is that these smaller independent boutiques that do love watches and that will take a chance on things that aren't Rolex and Patek, you could just go in and browse and never really know what you're going to find. And I will say too, even though the overhead is an issue, especially where you're located, Alan, I think that you are inclined to get a little bit of a better deal than just dealing with, you know, an AD or something that's got a strict price book they have to stick to, right? So this is kind of maybe beyond the scope of the just the strictly trading and selling. But if you were a watch lover, I think that the independent 
dealerships selling these CPO watches are just a ton of fun to to hang out and and browse online. Oh, I must have hit a nerve because Robin Allen's hands both went up here. I just want to say you don't just get cool watches; you get knowledge. Like yeah. these independent yeah. dealers, like they have so much experience. Like Alan, Amir, and David have all been in this industry basically for life. Like they know their stuff inside out. So you go into a shop like Ace or Del Rey and like you'll learn things. You might go in there looking for uh, an engineer and come out with Otto uh, Fenissimo or I don't know what. Like it's it's a fun journey to go on because you're guided by people that have passion and that's the most important thing. And what I wanted to say, thank you for that gentlemen. And what I wanted to say, actually it became two things when I raised my hand. It was one thing when I raised my hand, but it became two. I myself, I'm a collector and I buy new, pre-owned, old new stock. I sometimes hunt for something specific. Let's take the episode with Romalek Andre second second with the Air Jordan hand. I bought the hand. Oops, I needed an Air King vintage one. So I literally hunted one, found a Dutch dealer through Chrono24, and I buy from other dealers. We sell as CPO dealers to other CPO dealers. Imagine that. So obviously you can imagine the most wanted are Rolexes. So we often have new, pre-owned, young timers, old timers, and vintage Rolexes, all different stuff. And then, so imagine a Rolex new is sold at retail, comes to us. The seller wants a margin. We need a margin. We have another Corner 24 dealer buying it off us. Who needs a margin? And then an end consumer buys it. So think about that, how crazy that is, but that's how the world works. Now, tip for you, and my brother's maybe going to get angry with me, but what I always do when I reach out to other dealers, I say, hey, how are you? Do you still have it available? Is the condition as advertised? Do you have room on the price? So when I do that, that means I expect you to do it with us. So that's a little hint. Hope my brother doesn't listen to this episode because he'll get angry with me. So if you understand what I'm saying, you catch my drift. Now, another tip for watch collectors. If you have that itch, you want a new watch, but you don't know what you want, go visit a physical pre-owned vintage dealer or online. Hit them up. Send them a message. Hey, do you have something special? Because we have a lot of special stuff that me as the co-owner of Ace I'm often not aware that we have it on our premises. What do I mean by that? Sometimes we have pieces that we either buy or consign to us and we don't advertise them. Either they're super special or the owner doesn't want the world to know they're selling or the rotation is so extremely high and we have waiting lists, we simply don't advertise them. So they come in and they go they're not on our website. They're not on our corner 24. They don't even reach our Instagram. Okay. So, mea culpa. We're working very hard behind the scenes. Our photos on our website are utter shit. On our corner 24, they're shit on purpose because people want to see what you get, meaning we take close ups of every scratch because we want to take away that doubt. Um, we're ramping up our, 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 our time to make nice photos because we have our own Ace Photo Studio. We simply lack the time to keep up the pace, the high rotation of these pre-owns 
literally ebb and flow, flowing in and out. Um, so mea culpa, it can be better. We're working on a revamping of 4.0 of our website where CPO will get a greater podium and a stage to, uh, to deserve the attention and, and photography that they deserve. Um, so working on that. But so ask if they have something special. So that's a tip that I give you. And uh, that's what I often do. Incredible stuff. I wanted to suggest maybe that we lean on some of the people in the network to get some sexy photos taken. You know that we've got, and I shouted out their podcast on the last episode. I'm going to do it again because this is how we roll. This Watch Life by Vu Bui and Lydia Winters is now available on all podcast platforms. It's a daily watch podcast throughout the week between 15 and 20 minutes long. Lovely way to get your breakfast bite-sized watch news and good approachable watch chat. Lydia is a very, very talented photographer. She has a wonderful Instagram page, one of the most beautiful I've ever seen. You can find that at Lydia's Watches. That's L-Y-D-I-A-S-W-A-T-C-H-E-S. If we need some photographs taken, we've got the woman for the job, Elo. Amazing. Can't wait to meet her and see how we can work together. Uh, that's on my, my list to check out. And I guess, Rob, since it sounds like we're wrapping up, I just wanted to provide a quick summary, just a you know, high-level overview. I think the first is it does feel good to cut down. However, if you're going to cut down, realize that it takes a ton of work. Uh, there definitely is some planning you have to do. As Alan said, buy the seller, do your research. My preference would be to go with a smaller local shop, but they don't have to be local to you. You can send things out, but just keep that in mind in terms of logistics and costs. And uh, finally, don't worry about getting, you know, maximum price. Like you don't have to make every penny back. You are paying for convenience. You are paying for safety. And at the end of the day, watches are fun. Uh, so treat them as, as fun things and not financial instruments. It's a lovely point on which to end, but I'm just going to drag us on just a couple minutes longer. One thing to say about the price, David, you mentioned what the total price of those pieces would be on Chrono 24. And you said it ran 44K, right? So it would have been a profit of 12K. Something like that. Yeah, that's right. But of course, they are listed prices. And as Alan already intimated, you know, there's always room in a price. Sellers want to sell. They want to get rid of their watches. They don't want to sit on stock for a long time. And a quick turnover is preferable because it frees up cash to buy more pieces to sell again. So the truth of the matter is, even though those pieces were listed at 44, I don't think I've ever had a Chrono 24 transaction that didn't result in at least 10% off the advertised price. So really, like the margin is is much, much smaller than what we're, what we're talking about there. Last point from all of us, I just want to summarize because, of course, the article was focused on building toward the One Watch collection. Now, we touched on this several times in this episode and the previous analysis episode, but Final thoughts on this subject. Are we any closer to the One Watch Collection? Has this discussion changed anyone's opinion? Or David, in your case, has consolidated it even further? David, let's hear yours, then Alon, and then we'll wrap up. Uh, well, I'll never be a One Watch guy. There's no way. I've got a smaller collection that I'm very happy with. Uh, and I think, you know, in terms of changing habits going forward, I, being part of the real-time show is fantastic, not only because I made some new friends, but because the the talking about it gives me that satisfaction. I don't have to enjoy the hobby in a vacuum and actually buy a watch to feel like I'm partaking. Like me being here talking with you two is just as much fun, if not more, than actually buying a watch. So I am on a good path. And my wife is happy, which makes me happy as well. So, you know, win, win, win all around. Obviously, 
mission impossible, but remember you do you. So do whatever is good for you. Don't listen to others. Definitely don't listen to us. Two things I wanted to uh, say as an ending note. The, I agree with you, David. The talking is, is so much fun. It, it is. It is. It's therapeutic. It's, it's. We don't need a psychologist. We have each other. And I mean, I don't just mean the three of us on the mic. It's the army, the watch fam in the TRTS network. It's so much fun. It, it's it's an ongoing discussion. It's organic. It's fun. You can lean in when you have time. You can zoom out and just jump back in when you have time. Um, and we totally forgot to mention this. We One of our sub-channels in the network is a sales channel. So we actually sell watches to each other in that network. So another reason to join us. If you want to be part of the Real-Time Show Network, just hit David, Rob, or I up with a DM, we'll send you a direct invitation link for the WhatsApp community. We would love to hear if you believe you can have a one watch collection yourself ever. And what's your exit watch and what's your grail watch? Share with us. Please do. Very well said. And that I think could probably be another episode in itself when we go through our most dedicated listeners' choices for those three categories. It's going to be a fascinating one, actually. Let's let's make sure that the, the gang respond to that because that would be a lot of fun to discuss those choices. From my perspective, since we've been talking, I've been moving watches from my boxes on the left to the box on the right, trying to scythe down the collection just visually to see what works and what doesn't, what I can do without, and what I definitely can't bear to part with. And I think I'm going to try and do something similar, David, to be honest. I think the consolidation route is definitely one that experienced collectors should pursue at some point in their collecting careers. So watch this space. As Alan said, if you would like to join the network, you can get in touch with any of us. If you have any questions for us or questions you'd like us to answer on the show, you can contact us either via our dedicated Instagram handle, that's at therealtime.show, or our personal accounts, either R-O-B-N-U-D-D-S for me, A-L-O-N-B-E-N-J-O-S-E-P-H for Alon, or D-A-V-A-U-C-H-E-R for David. You can also email Alon or I at either Rob or Alon at therealtime.show, or contact us via the contact form on the website, www.therealtime.show. We will be back soon with another interview and then another article, so stay tuned for that. Until then, stay safe and keep on ticking.